The pursuit of God doesn't stop when a believer gets saved. There is so much more to discover about a living and active God who is with us and in us. If you've ever thought to yourself, there has got to be more than this, you are in the right place. Welcome to The More of God, a safe place to explore the more. My guest on the podcast today is Bill Alsop. Now, Bill and I first met um, at a Bible study at his home that some friends had invited me to. And I had been from a church where Bible studies were more like Beth Moore books, where we would get together and discuss. And I instantly knew when I walked into his home and saw 40 people or so crammed into every square inch of the downstairs that this was going to be something different. Um, I I saw him teach um, amazing insight from the Word, and then he would minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. And at the time, it was pretty intense for me. I was kind of uh, scared of the power of God. But I also saw as he would minister, the love of God would just kind of make it feel a little more safe for me. And so I got to see him minister in power, but also minister in love. And so I've asked him to come and share what he's learned about the love of the Father love to start with you sharing about your life before God and then kind of your powerful salvation experience. Yeah, well, um, I was, um, when I was 15 years old, I, I went to a party and uh, the refrigerator was full of beer and I never drank before. So I drank one can of beer and before the night was over, I had drank 15 cans. And I realized from that point on until I was 35 that my life before God was a life without God was a life without God and uh, uh, and I got married in 1969 and uh, I was a functioning alcoholic so I could I was working for Sears and I got into management of Sears and that's where I met my wife and then three years 1977 she got saved and started going to church and uh, I didn't want anything to do with that Uh, and we were trying to work out things but they weren't working with me because I was very deceptive and uh, then on the third Sunday of October 1979, I had woke up in a parking lot because I had gone out the night before drinking, and that was her final straw. So I woke up, and I was covered. At, I woke up at six o'clock in the morning in a parking lot outside the bar, in which I had obviously passed out, or they threw threw me in there and put the keys in there, and I had I had thrown up all over myself. And so I went home that day, and I walked in the front door. And there was a suitcase, and I realized that wasn't good. She was packing up, and she wasn't divorcing me, but she was getting out of the house with my uh, seven-year-old son and going over to her father's to stay, uh, first to church. So I didn't really care because my head was still about 80 proof, so I went upstairs, and I, I laid down in the bed and uh, to try to go to sleep in the guest room where I was sleeping anyway. And all of a sudden, it felt like a, a, a light sheet fell on my body. And the second that hit me, it raced to my heart. And I actually saw my first 35 years of running into a brick wall. And I started to cry, and I didn't even know why I was crying. And I went downstairs, and um, I said, please don't leave. And uh, she said, well, I can't help you anymore. Only God can. And she threw me a Bible track and left. And so I went into our little den area, which had a sliding glass door that led to our pool area. And um, I was actually on my knees trying to read this Bible track. And it's the first time I had ever read the gospel, never read the Bible, never really thought about God. I knew there was a God, maybe, but I didn't know God. And so um, 
I, I was reading the, uh, the the Billy Graham Bible track, I think it was, where you have a sinner and you have a holy God and the two can't coexist, and that's why Jesus died on the cross to, to bridge the gap so you could walk over there. And I was reading it, and I was thinking to myself in the natural, how can somebody dying 2,000 years ago affect me? Well, I didn't have much choice, and actually while I was reading it, I, I kind of fell over because I was still about 80 proof, so my equilibrium was a little bit off. So I'm sitting there, and it's a totally cloudy day, and, and I got to the end where it asked you to f- repent and ask God to come into your heart. And I just, okay, here we go. So I said, well, God, if you're real, show me. And that moment, two rays of light broke through the clouds and hit the carpet in front of me. And it started in my toes, and my whole body, all the blood in my body went electric. And it just kind of came up, come up my calves and my and my legs and, and hit my stomach and started to churn. And it was actually the first time that I ever had a vision and I saw the hand of the Lord come down and lift a trash can off the top of my head. That's really weird because you got to remember I hadn't experienced any of this. And this tremendous rush went up and physically could feel it go up through the top of my head. And, and then the next thing I remember, I was standing up, my arms were stretched out, and every cell in my body was filled with the presence of God. And somebody asked me this question one time. They said, well, how do you know it was the presence of God? And I said, when he lands on you, you know exactly, <laughs> you know exactly who it was. And the funny thing was there was no more alcohol in my system. It had blown up through the top of my head physically, which was really weird. So I grabbed, I went upstairs, I knew I was saved, I knew God was real. It's the first time I ever met God. I'm glad I met God by the power of God, the supernatural power, because it would be the, the, the starting point for my whole life, being uh, walking in the supernatural power of God. And I, to shorten the story, I went to church that day, and uh, she came home, and we reconciled, and then we had 17 uh, great years of marriage and I never thought about alcohol again and I never had a desire uh, the, the, the scriptures say whom the sun sets free is free indeed and boy did he set me free so I walked away from that life I realized I walked the two and a half miles to the church with a suit and a bible crying and laughing all the way feeling a freedom I, I, I'm not sure I've have ever felt the exhilaration of that day again but I used my house as a starting point for that, and I imagine that the trash guy was kind of laughing because the next day I had stuff hidden all over the house, so I took all the li- li- I took all the liquor in the house and I poured it in the sink with a plug in it, and then I pulled the plug, and I watched it all go down the drain. So when he went out there to pick up the trash, it was about all <laughs> bottles and booze and all that that was hidden all over the house. So. Um, yeah, it was a it was it was a tremendous, tremendous, exhilarating salvation. I love that story. Yeah. Um, so, can you tell just kind of a little summary about your life with God, kind of after you got saved, what you did next? Well, uh, the mistake the pastor made was he told me I was at a congregational church, and he was a really good guy. And he so I asked him the first day I got to church, I said, "What should I do?" And he made the mistake of telling me to read the Bible and believe everything in it. <laughs> So what a horrible thing. So I started to read, but what caught my attention was the ministry of Jesus when he would go around and heal. And then then I read about demons and casting out demons and healing the sick and and looking at the stories of the disciples. So I spent the first years reading the Bible about all the miracles and signs and wonders. 
And then about six months later, in my house all alone, he just stopped me in my tracks and he said, well, and I had never read the book of Acts, so I didn't know anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. So I had no theology that said you can't do this. I had no theology that said you could do this. And so I just was, it was late at night. It was like 1130 at night. And he just stood me straight up in the air and he said, well, why don't you go into the room where, where I, you got, where I hit you the first time. And uh, somebody had mentioned something about it, but I didn't quite understand it. So I, I sat down and I said, well, it's in the book. And I asked God to, to save me, and that was real. And if it's now it's talking about baptizing me with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. I had no idea what speaking in tongues was. <laughs> so I'm just following the word. See, I'm not trying to figure it out. I'm following the word. We, we make the mistake of trying to figure out the supernatural instead of accepting it. So I got down on my knees and I said, well, here goes. That's, that was my thing. Well, here goes. I did the same thing I did with my salvation. Well, here goes. And I opened my mouth and this language started flowing out of me. And then for the next 30 minutes, here we go. He always putting on a, 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 a light show, and a, a, a light and an action show with me when he does something. So for the next 30 minutes, I, I sat on the bed and electricity went up and down my body. I, was in, I had a supervisory position in Sears, so... Um, I got up the next morning and I was so full of God, uh, I was bubbling because he said, out of your belly in John 7, uh, out of your belly full of rivers of living water. So I had this bubbling going on. So I'd go to work and I was an executive at, in, in, on the store staff and I'd have to run out and hide behind the paint cans and speak in tongues. So I was so excited, so I went to church the next day, and um, I'm, I mean, that Sunday, and I grabbed the pastor, and I said, hey, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence speaking in tongues, uh, but I don't see that happening. What should we do? We need to do something about this. I was all excited, and he said, well, we don't do that here, and then I thought, I'm hearing in my head, well, you told me to read the Bible and believe everything in it, but you're not doing it, and, um, and that was the beginning of a whole life in church where there would be a um, like a buffet table of what we as a church believe or don't believe, uh, we, which is, comes back to traditions. It's too long to talk about all that, but we, we pick and choose what's convenient to us or what doesn't scare us or what does this. So I would spend a whole life trying to say, why aren't we doing this, and not knowing that that was not going to work. But in the meantime, the Holy Spirit was... was um, slowly but surely becoming my best friend and so when I started to believe what I was reading in the word then he has no choice but to enlighten the word to me so as I was struggling through and being guided by him which I didn't fully understand like I do today uh, he began to use me and then all of a sudden one day I, I knew something about somebody and I thought well, I know something about them, but if I go over and I say something to them, they're going to stick their tongue at me and go, nah, 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 nah. You got that wrong, so I was scared. And and then he would show me somebody else, and I got scared and chicken out. See, it's okay in the beginning to chicken out because you're dealing with a, above natural things. Is it okay in the middle to chicken out? <laughs> yes. Asking for a friend. <laughs> yes. Yes, always, because we're not used to being supernatural. We're not used to being naturally supernatural. So uh, I finally went over and I found out I was right. And then he kept opening the door for me and I found out I was right again and right again. And then I realized I wasn't right. He was right moving through me. 
which was very important because I had to let go of the fact that I was doing something because you don't have any power to change matter in a body to see a bone grow or somebody here without an eardrum. You, we don't have that kind of uh, thing. So I developed this relationship with him and then I started doing tent meeting and conferences and all throughout New England and I'd get prayer lines and people would fall out and uh, people knew when I was coming into the church they were they were more waiting for me to finish speaking and then do the stuff stuff. yeah so that was kind of that one of the questions I know I was kind of afraid of the Holy Spirit for a while when I first became a Christian because I the stories in the Bible to me always seem like the Holy Spirit would come and overtake people against their will and do all these crazy things to them or make them do crazy things. And he's been very powerful in your life, but you've always had to say yes and agree with what he was doing. Is that is that true? Well, yeah, yeah but, the, but the yes and agreement is agreement with the word. He spells it out very, very clearly uh, when, he, when, when Jesus is even talking. He, in John 16, 7, he said, look, it's to your advantage that I go because I'm going to send the counselor. And then when you go to John 14, he says he's going to come and he's going to, he's going to be your helper. And he's going to come and live and be with you forever. So he's going to be in you and with you forever. So, so the Holy Spirit is coming in you and he says, I'm going, I'm, you, this is not a scary thing. This is what my job is, to come and live in you and be with you and work with you. So the acceptance is I don't have to figure this out. What scares us is we lose control. See, And and basically we're trusting somebody else to take over our body and then move the kingdom through it. And we don't like being out of control. And we're rationalists. See, the other problem we have in Christianity is we want to know how it works. And I've been working with the Holy Spirit for 40 years and I still don't know how it works. Because it says, it doesn't say these signs in, in Mark 16, it doesn't say these signs will follow them that figure out how it works. It says these signs will follow them that believe. The great thing about the power of God and the dimension of the kingdom, or what we would call supernatural, because the word supernatural never appears in the Bible, what we call about doing above natural things is it's never us doing it, and it's never us in control of it, which is a very safe place when we have a trusting relationship with the Holy Spirit and with God, then we don't have to figure out what we're going to do. He figures it out for us. He figures out what he's going to push through us, and we just go along for the ride. So it's for actually more comforting than it is scary, but in the beginning for me, too, it was very scary. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and kind of what you said about, you know, we don't like being out of control, and part of the reason we don't like being out of control is we're not trusting the person who is in control. So a lot of that is understanding the character of who you're trusting. Yeah, well, and I, and I tried to explain this. I was doing a conference recently, and I said it this way. If you're in the natural world, if you're out of control, it produces fear and anger. But if you're in the kingdom, if you're out of control, it produces rest and peace. Mm, that's good. So you, you, you see two different dimensions working in opposites. We're spiritual beings having a human experience, not human beings having an experience. And so we have to start looking at things from spiritual, not natural. And that's a training. And if we're willing to be trained by the Spirit, uh, the Bible says he's our teacher. So he's a master teacher. He's not just a regular teacher. He's not only teaching you a kingdom dynamics, but he's teaching you to become like he's already seen you. See, you, you don't know when he gets a hold of you what you're going to look like, but he does. 
So why not have somebody that does a better job making a better you than you can make a better job of you making you? So I know uh, part of your story also involves going to school. You want to share a little bit about that time? Well, the first day I went to, the first day I went to school, uh, I was headed for a vice presidency of a company. So there was a good future ahead for me. And then one day the Lord grabbed me and said, um, I want you, my wife came to me and she said, you know, you've been talking about going back to Bible school down in Rhode Island, which was about an hour and 20 minutes away. She said, we need to go down there and look at the school. So we set up an appointment and I had never thought about going to school. I wasn't good at school anyway. So we went to school that day and um, we started, they were going to give us a tour. Well, they gave us a tour while they were taking finals and I turned ash and white because I thought, oh no. I don't want to go to school tests and I you know if 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 there was if there was two things on a multiple choice I would get all them wrong because I didn't study. So finally we went into the student um uh, uh, uh cafe and we were waiting there and the Holy Spirit said to me he said the only person that you know in this entire school is going to walk through the door in 10 seconds start counting. Now I'm not he's I'm not telling anybody so in my head I go 10 9 and I get to zero and the only guy I knew walked in. And he walked over and he answered every objection I had. And before I left that day, I knew I was supposed to go. So I was 43 years old and I went back to Bible school with 17 year old. And I thought I was getting an education. But during that time, uh, God started using me in the prophetic. And I remember within two weeks, it was a, it was a legalistic Bible school, Pentecostal uh, legalistic Bible school. So the women sometimes would sit on one side and the men on the other. So it was really, and you had to wear a little uniform, which was... Yeah. Can't imagine you any <laughs> no, you don't. I used to say we had to use wear a polyester uh, suit with a red tie, and I always thought the red was for hell. Oh. So, so one day uh, we it was about 350 students, and every day they'd have chapel. And so one day I'm in in in, in the chapel service, and he said, "I want to heal some necks. I want you to stand up and call it out." And you didn't do that. You just didn't do it. And I said to him, "I said you got to be kidding me." And he said, no. And I said, well, you're going to have to do something. He says, how about if I freeze everybody on the platform so they can't move? And I thought, well, that's cool. You're not going to do that. So they're all up there, and they have all the big wigs, and the dean is up there, and the dean gets up, and they're all standing up, and the dean starts to walk towards the pulpit, and he locks in his tracks, and he can't move, and all the people are frozen on the stage. And he turned around, and he says, you're on. So I stood up. I didn't even look around. I just closed my eyes, and I said, there's some people in here that have neck problems, and God wants to heal them. The second I started to talk, one of the teachers who's had a neck problem for a couple of years was immediately freed from it. And that day, about 15 people got healed. And then I went to the cafeteria afterwards, and one of the teachers came up, and they said, you know, we don't normally do that. So I was challenged right away. He said, well, usually we wait for the Holy Spirit. And so I turned around to him, and I said, well, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what I did. So it started a whole thing where in my school, God was always using me. But basically by my senior year, because of certain things that happened, I had a free reign. In fact, if, if sometimes people would be walking towards class and i pray for them, and they'd fall out and be out for 35, 40 minutes and miss class. And this was, I didn't find this out until a little bit later, but I was actually an excuse. So if you miss class or you miss curfew and you had been with Bill. You got all soft. You got all sunk. That's good. You got you got WK'd. You got WKO'd. That's it. Because my initials are WK. I like WKO'd. Yep. You got WKO'd yep. or all sunk. 
so so the experience was really the development of my prophetic ministry but it, it caused a lot of commotion and I probably would have been tossed out of there except that the president was on my side and so I learned I learned how to move in the prophetic uh, my course was was the uh, was all the prophetic stuff the the revelation and the wisdom and the application and the voice of God. And uh, so when I graduated, uh, it was funny because God even blessed me. I, I was always a flunk. I flunked ninth grade and I, I couldn't do anything. And I gradu- I missed highest honors by like seven-tenths of a point. So I graduated with high honors, which to me showed me that with God all things are possible. And so um, it was a great experience. I didn't like the, the, the rest of it that went with it. I didn't like to, to the fight I had to, with half the organization. But those were all experiences that made me better, not worse. And I had my issues, too. I, was, I had zeal. What? I, you had zeal? Yeah. I, had, I don't even believe that. I had zeal. I had the zeal of the Lord. I was a little more like a zealot than... A, than the, the calm zeal I have today, but uh, it was a great experience. And there's other stories that will come out on my website. You want to tell your website? Yeah, my website's very simple. It's wkalsop.com. Lots of good stuff on there. Yeah. 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 All right, so you get saved very powerfully. You have powerful experiences where you're doing tent revivals, where people are falling out, getting healed, getting yep. delivered. You go to school, you got all this prophetic stuff going on, and, and then you get kind of pulled out of the church world and the ministry world for a while. You want to talk about that? Well, yeah, because, you know, even after a while, you begin to read your own press releases. (laughs) So you really do think you're the cat's meow. But, you know, then I started hearing people talk about the Father's love. And then my first wife, Barbara, who passed away in 1997, she she used to say, I'm content. And I had no idea what that was. I was working for God. But I, I, I... so one day I was, uh, I'll put it this way, one day we, we moved here in January of 1995 from 30 years up in New England. We didn't know anybody. We started going to Hope Chapel. It's funny, I'm back there now. But I was sitting in the back of my closet one day and I was just feeling awful and, and uh, I, I was crying and I was sitting there and I'm thinking, and I yelled out to my wife. She came in and she said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I don't know how to have a relationship with God. Well, after all that, that, yeah, 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 after all that, I mean, I I did, I was being used by God, he was speaking to me, but something was missing, and I didn't know what it was, so she just went, you just, and walked away, (laughs) and so I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, the glory filled the the closet, and the Lord came down, and he said, let me ask you a question, and I said, what is it, he said, if you never ministered again, would I be enough? And it was like somebody stuck ammonia under my nose and the most horrible feeling came over me because I had invested in ministry, but not him. And then in 2000, July 4th, uh, 2000, down at Ocean Isle, he called me to be a prophet and he said, but you're just a rookie. And then he shut me down. He shut down my ministry. He shut down everything else and he said, go home and sit. And I was confused. And he asked me a question when he first started this. He said, would you trust me in what I'm going to do with you? And I said, yeah. So I was shut down. I, I, I didn't go to church. I was home. And during the next 14 years, he just retooled me. He killed a lot of stuff. I call it the killing fields. And then he, he began to speak to me, not how I thought that he viewed me, because see, sometimes what we can do is we can get to a place where we say, well, this is how God 
views me because it's mixed with religion, it's mixed with traditions, it's, mis- it's mixed with our backgrounds, it's mixed to how our parents treated us, it's all that stuff, and none of that's God. And then, then he started teaching me grace, and grace was a full view, not only of how he viewed me, but a full view of his plan. And slowly but surely, I found myself changing without any work. I found myself wanting to know him more than I wanted to do him. And we just developed this real thick relationship. And then in 2014, he had me go back and uh, start going to uh, church again. And um, But I was retooled. It wasn't the same guy in 1995. And then he started to say, all the work that I've done in you, I'm now going to use this work to go and teach you how to present me above all the signs, wonders, and miracles so people would be able to do both, that they would know me and that they would look like me. See, really the whole thing is he is trying to conform us to his image. And image requires not only the experience of God, but the knowledge of God. And really, it's about, he's, he's into a season now where he's bringing more of the grace of God, more of the glory of God, more of the full understanding of God in people's lives, so we can become uh, more brilliant. You know, it's what it said in Hebrews about Jesus. He, see, it says he was, in Hebrews 1.3, it says he was the brightness of his glory and express image. And that is a foundational scripture of what I try to teach, that we're becoming more brilliant. We're becoming more like him. So I didn't think it was possible for him to not only love me like that, but it was. I didn't know if it was possible for him to transform me the way he did. And when he did, it was so awesome that the expression of English words cannot express what he's done in me, which it should be because it has to be him. So all of a sudden I woke up one day and I said, well, how, what, patience, I never had patience. And now I have patience. I didn't ever have peace. I have peace all the time. All the stuff that's, that it read in Galatians 5.23 about the fruit of the Spirit is happening in me. And I realized I hadn't, it's nothing I did. It was all him. Because he wants us to know that when he changes us that we will give the glory back to him. So I'm, I'm still learning but I'm really teaching on grace, which I never thought would be a subject. Because I always taught on the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God, casting out demons, and those are all good. But there's nothing, they're nothing, a miracle is nothing in comparison to the knowledge of God. So when you're talking about this 14-year period of when he was transforming you, you mentioned it as the killing fields. I would assume you mean like he was pruning you? He was it's like taking a fillet knife in there <laughs> and cutting out all the ideas that you ever had about ministry, about church. When you're in church, and I'm not telling anybody to get out of church. I'm just saying he should, the picture he showed me is you're in the forest. Well, you can't see all the trees in the forest while you're in the middle of the forest. So he took me out of the forest and he set me on a high hill so I could look into the forest. So what he was doing was he was not only killing my uh, thoughts about who he was and what ministry was and showing me the uniqueness of the relationship and the uniqueness of the investment. So he had to kill the, my ideas and he knew that he couldn't kill them while I was working. So he stripped me of all that. And it was very confusing at first, but, but it's only confusing because we're still in control. See, now I know. I, if I'm confused, I'm in a good place. 
But you came out also with an understanding of the Father's love, and that's something that you've preached about before at Hope. Um, I, I never thought I would because, because he showed me what real love is, and real love doesn't have anything to do with what we do. It's who we are. And I had to have all that killed, so I wasn't working. So you were resting. I was resting because I had, my worth was in working. We love to do things for God. We feel our worth in it. Worth's very important to us. We feel, hey, I'm important because I'm doing something for God. Isn't this what we called it about? Well, what if you're not doing anything for God? You know, what, what if there's no ministry? Well, you're going to find out real quick where your worth is. Because you feel great. I felt great when I got through with a tent meeting and stuff, and I'm, people are getting healed, and somehow I'm, I'm really holding a little of that, and they're looking at me, oh, man, that guy's awesome. Look at what he's doing. And you feel great because you're having the power of God move through you, and you'll never find a higher place of worth. But what happens if that's not there? See? And what he's really doing is preparing us for eternity. Because eternity can't be in, in things we do. There isn't any ministry. It's a relationship forever. See, and one day he, he took me to show me what the Father was like. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's going, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm all pleased. He said that to me one day, and I got the revelation of it because the legalism had been extracted from me. See, the killing fields is the killing of all the legalistic things. So I think a lot of times, especially with the Father, people have this um, distorted view of who he is, that he's the judge, that he's the angry one, that he's the punisher, that he's the whatever. Yeah. So with your experience of understanding his character the way that you do, what what would you use as descriptive words to describe the Father and the way that he loves us? Well, there there isn't a Greek definition of grace in the um, richness of the word grace. There are three words that I always carry with me that I speak on. And this really shows the love of the Father. They are undeserved, unmerited, and under the divine power of the Holy Spirit, spirit-controlled. If God elected us before the foundations of the world, that we didn't earn that, that wasn't merited. We didn't even deserve it, that was undeserved. So when you realize that the moment that you were born again, it wasn't your choice, it was his. Because the Spirit of the Lord came and got you. It was undeserved. It was unmerited. It was under the control of the Spirit. If I look at all the signs and wonders and miracles that have done in my life and why he called me a, a prophet, I realized that before I was ever born he had called me that because that's what he said to Jeremiah. That's undeserved. That's unmerited. That's under the control of the Spirit. If I look at the way that the Father has changed me to look like the Son, which is impossible for me, it's undeserved, unmerited. And the nature of the Holy Spirit is now moving through me. See, I can't have godly patience without godly patience moving through me. So the Father's love is much bigger than just two words, Father's love. See, they were words to me years ago when I was in works. When there's no works, you start understanding the Father's love. When you understand that you've been judged once when you were born again, so there's no screen in heaven showing your sins, because they were all obliterated the moment you'd be born, born again, but they never told us that in, in church. So this website and the podcast is called More of God. Um, yeah. It's kind of a yeah. invitation to the things that God has. Yeah, it's great. Life, all that stuff. So I'm putting a plug in for yours, too, because it's a great site. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But you know, one of the things I love that you teach about is becoming best friends with the Holy Spirit and how that's 
kind of this entrance point to all the things that he wants to do in your life. Can you talk just a little bit about that? Yeah, because I, I think early on, the first, the first time somebody uh, I thought about, I said, well, how do you, I have him in me, how do I talk to him? Well, I didn't want to, this is before they had all this stuff where you can have your phones in your and people walking around talking to themselves. So I didn't want to think like somebody's going to lock me up. And I was training for the Boston Marathon. So I figured, well, the best way to talk out loud the Holy Ghost was to go out and run when nobody's around and start talking out loud. So I figured I better talk out loud because he's, if he's living with me and, and he's supposed to be a friend and he's my counselor and he's um, among a hundred other things that we don't know about in church, so I started talking to him, and I must have talked for like two weeks. And then one day he talked back. He talked back in the answer of a prayer. Now, it was an answer of prayer, but then I realized he was talking back to me. So then I really knew that who was living in me was real and that he was a person. So I learned to talk to him, and the more I started talking to him, the more he started talking back. So the more I began to develop a relationship with him. And then one day he woke me up about 4.30 in the morning, and he said, well, I'm going to teach you everything there is to know about spiritual gifts. And when I'm done, it'll be like everybody else. And I thought, cool, go for it. And then he taught me. I never had a mentor. In, in, I never read. He taught me. Well, see, that what's important about that is, is that there's much more than him just being an entity living in you for us to use. So I could, I could say to somebody, well, the Spirit of the Lord distributes the gifts of healings to everybody. And we go, oh, okay, that's good. So we go out and we start praying for the sick. Kind of in a way we start praying for the sick without inviting them in to be there when we're praying for the sick. But what if we're just sitting there praying for the sick and we think, well, that's the only thing. But what if there's something else that person is sick about besides just the physical? See, and, and if I've developed a friendship and relationship with him, then I'm not just doing the mechanic, but I have somebody walking with me all the time that talks to me, that has the wisdom of God, that has the truth of God, that has the power of God. It's like if you were, if, if Kathy and I are sitting down and talking, and we're talking to a couple, and I'm doing all the talking, and she's got ideas. See, Kathy's my best friend. And I trust her. So what Kathy does, she comes over and says, wait a minute, but there's this. And I go, oh, I missed that. See, now there's two working on that person instead of one. Now, he gave me permission for this. I don't recommend it unless you ask him. Uh, but when I'm talking about his divine nature, I call him the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Those are his names. But uh, several years ago, uh, he said, um, he said you, well, in friendship, you can call me the ghost. So I call him the ghost. I go, hey. So I, I don't call him the ghost, but he's the ghost to me in friendship. So I have a natural best friend, which is my wife, Kathy. But there's no friend I have in the spirit realm, like my best friend, the Holy Spirit. One of the things I love to do is have people just close praying for people that yeah. are listening, yeah. um, whatever you feel led to pray. Yeah. And um, I'd love if you would close. And thank you for sharing. Sure. Father, in Jesus' name, for everyone listening, everyone that have heard, especially, especially only you can do this, Holy Spirit, especially about you. I know to some of them it's foreign. I know to some of them they're scared of the power of God. But I never saw in Scripture where the disciples of Jesus were scared of power of God. They welcomed it. 
They knew it was real. They used it. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would build relationships with these people, that, that you that are listening would ask the Holy Spirit to come in every facet of who he is, that you would ask that the Holy Spirit would train you and teach you all things as it says in 1 John, that you would want and desire, even where there is no desire, to ask him to give you the desire to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and not listen to people I would never listen to somebody that, that didn't know the experience to tell me it doesn't exist. And so, Father, I pray that you would release your power on everyone listening and that you give them enlightenment as to who you truly are, that they would get a full view of you, not what they think you're viewing them as, but a full view, and that you would pour your grace upon every individual in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.